AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. Well, today we are going to be talking about the shortage of affordable housing in rural Minnesota. Because finding housing in small towns can be very, very tough. In fact, I know from some firsthand experience even about a decade ago when I was trying to get my start in radio and the difficulty in trying to, well, find any sort of place to be able to rent in uh, very small towns. I was uh, working uh, for a while at a small town in Iowa, and it was very difficult finding anywhere that I could afford. I eventually did luck out, but I have many other horror stories of other people who were in radio trying to find uh, affordable housing in rural communities, and it's very, very difficult. And, of course, it expands just beyond radio. Uh, many other many other professions also uh, are struggling to find affordable housing in rural America. So that's why I brought in Walker Orenstein of MinPost. As he recently wrote an article titled, Greater Minnesota Workers Cannot Find Housing. Well, an extra $40 million from the state help. As we're going to be chatting about a new program here from, or an expanded program that the Minnesota legislature passed that could help alleviate some of the problems with affordable housing in rural Minnesota. So, Walker, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So let's dive into what exactly the problem is with this lack of, well, affordable housing and renting in rural areas of our state. As uh, many state officials say, we have an issue with what's called workforce housing, which is housing with rents based on what local employers are paying. So before we dive into the program or some of the problems we're facing, what are the types of communities that are really struggling with the with trying to, well, find employees in their towns, affordable housing. Describe some of the towns that are running into these issues. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of places across greater Minnesota. A lot of them that have good, strong employers um, that have, even a lot of the time, you know, want to bring jobs in um, that have been struggling. I was talking to Bradley Peterson, who is executive director of the Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities, and he's like, everywhere I go, this summer, I've heard about this as a top issue. And so just, you know, a couple classic examples, like Rozo with Polaris has had a lot of problems with this over the years. You know, I know, um, you know, in Wyndham, um, there are some folks testifying at the legislature about workers having to bust from North Mankato to a, a high-life pork plant there, although that pork plant has since closed. You know, uh, some of the cities getting money through this workforce housing program in the past. You know, uh, I, I went and, uh, down to talk to the folks in Plainview, Minnesota, but, you know, places like Alexandria, Cold Spring, Grand Marais, Dassel, Boston, Pipestone, War Road. You know, it's just kind of all over the state. Wasika's had problems. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's a ton of city officials kind of looking at this as a really big challenge for them. Well, what are some of the root causes of uh, the lack of a rural affordable housing? Is this uh, simply not enough uh, not enough housing units available or expensive new construction? I'm curious what some of these causes are as to why we're in this situation that we are right now. Yeah, and it's worth saying that like there's a lot of different types of housing issues in greater Minnesota and in rural areas. You know, there's not necessarily only a need for one type of housing, like in Plainview, the mayor said, like, we have housing needs across the board, you know, and um, there's issues finding housing uh, for seniors, you know, for them to move if they want to outside of, you know, to something like an assisted living facility. And our long-term care system has problems. There's problems building starter homes in a lot of places. Um, what I kind of looked at real specifically in, in this case was 
uh, what you mentioned earlier, which is workforce housing. And so that's not necessarily like what we consider affordable housing in the sense of like subsidized, you know, like a, the specific definition of affordable housing, but it's, you know, housing that sort of matches the wages that the local employers are paying. And even when it's pretty decent wages, it can be tough to have enough housing for those people. And um, there's a lot of different factors. Um, it's com- complex. You know, there's an interesting study that I linked to in my story that's worth looking at. But, you know, from a base level, here's a couple of reasons is, you know, developers say that the costs just don't pencil out, basically. Like, the, you know, in plain view, the mayor was telling me, Mayor Aaron Luxine was telling me that, you know, for a developer, um, the cost of, say, construction materials and and labor and those sorts of things are the same, essentially, building in plain view as building in a bigger city like Rochester, um, and while there, it may be a little easier in some ways to build in a place like Plainview, um, you know, they also can't necessarily charge the same rates. And so uh, rents, you know, once you build, say, a multifamily apartment building. And so, yeah, there's a lot of complicated factors, but that's one of them. And, and right now, as, you know, construction costs have risen and inflation is, you know, with inflation and um, interest rates are up, there's just a lot of a lot of pressure on these developers. Um, and I know one thing that um, I've heard uh, looking at this program on workforce housing is it's also hard sometimes for um, smaller cities and towns to just find developers that will come in and build types of housing that they need. You know, they may be more interested um, in bigger cities or just have more of a connection there. And so trying to actually find the, the developer can be a challenge as well. Yeah, let's dive a little more into that. Why, why is multifamily housing a struggle to build with affordable rents in, in many of our rural communities? Yeah, I mean, it, sort of what I just, you know, explained is a little bit like, you know, the the financing just kind of doesn't mm-hmm. pencil out for them at the end of the day. And, and so that's kind of a big thing. You know, that report that I mentioned said um, just in, in general, like, you know, uh, Young families can be priced out of contention for starter homes, which isn't multifamily housing. But then there's also issues like, uh, you know, uh, finding places for seniors to live after that. But, yeah, when it comes to actual multifamily homes piece of it, I think, you know, a big part of it is just that the finances don't seem to add up. I mean, Bradley Peterson, again, from the Coalition, Greater Minnesota Cities, that he, he felt the problem in Greater Minnesota is essentially a, a market failure. You know, you just very hard to do affordably even where employers are paying good wages uh just the financial question doesn't work very well for developers in a lot of cases yeah i want to go back to a clarification you made too uh, when i was mentioning affordable housing yeah i'm not necessarily talking about you know the government subsidized housing it's it's more of kind of i don't know how to call it maybe a gray area where you do have as you were describing employees who are making good wages but they're unfortunately too much to qualify for affordable housing so they're kind of lost in that hole right now where they they make too much to get those government subsidies but then again the rent is uh is still too high for them to be able to afford or same with mortgages as well so i'm curious what employees in some of these towns are doing right now to to at least find housing because as you wrote in your article there are some uh, rather drastic lengths that employees of some of these places are having to go to in in order to to find housing yeah absolutely and i'll just bring up rozo again like i was writing in 2021 um, that the city there itself literally turned into like a housing developer to try and build um, an apartment building. Um, the Polaris is a great example of somewhere that wants to bring in jobs and does pay, you know, good wages um, and has had this huge struggle um, to have workers be able to find housing. 
Um, so up there, you know, they've had to have workers living in hotels, only for those workers to have to couch surf when hockey tournaments come to town because there's an influx of people to the city and that's really important economic development for them um, and economic driver for them and Rozo. So that's just, you know, one example. You know, Scott McMahon, he's the executive director of a nonprofit um, called Greater Minnesota Partnership. He testified about this circumstance and I believe the city was New York Mills where he said, um, you know, a small city with a major manufacturing plant tried to recruit two employees and then discovered both were bidding on the one available house. The one that actually got the house had to turn down the job, and the one that didn't get the house didn't, you know, take the job, didn't even move to Minnesota. Um, you know, I've heard all sorts of stories. You know, cities have been trying to get creative, you know, giving away land or, you know, various, you know, tax relief measures for developers. Um, like I said, you know, some cities just trying to build directly on their own. You know, I've heard of uh, employers essentially stepping in to act as a housing developer. I mean, there's just been a lot of drastic steps that people have had to take, um, which just illustrates how difficult it has been in a lot of areas of the state. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, the Minnesota legislature did approve an expansion of a program, which could help somewhat at least alleviate the problem as they as the legislature expand, or passed an expansion of its workforce housing program in small to mid-sized cities. And it certainly appears that this program is in big demand as uh, they used to have just a $2 million budget per year. And I believe in the most recent reporting cycle, they had 23 applicants for that money requesting $19 million. So they had a $2 million budget, but $19 million of requests. But the legislature has approved at least a one-time expansion of that program to $40 million. So let's talk about what that $40 million will mean and where that money could be spent in terms of trying to, well, help this crisis in rural rural Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I just find interesting about this expansion is it's just, you know, it's part of a larger $1 billion housing budget bill, which has a lot of other, you know, pieces to it aimed at trying to ease housing problems across the state. And it's also just one in a long example of, you know, smaller government programs that the legislature opted this year to expand really significantly. You know, this goes from, yeah, $2 million a year, $4 million over the two-year budget cycle to like $40 million. It's a pretty darn big expansion. Um, it, You know, there were a couple changes in the program, a couple small changes, but basically what it does is it just, will serve more people trying to apply for this money. So, you know, cities um, apply for this. Usually, uh, you know, it can be a, a economic development authority or something like that. But, you know, local governments will apply for the money, you know, and work with the developer, and, and it helps sort of bridge the financing gap, as it were. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting is, like, over in Plainview, you know, they had been a recipient of this money, um, and the money that they got, was just ended up not even being enough. They got a $1.3 million grant from the state for a 43-unit apartment building. Um, and as higher interest rates came in and price your construction costs, they've actually had to pause that project. And they're like, we might even apply for more of this money, right? Like, it's just even a problem there. And th- that $1.3 million was by far the biggest award of that grant round. So it just illustrates, again, the difficulty of this. And um, I-, I-, I think that state officials absolutely just expect you know a lot of applications asking for this money um and it'll be interesting to see if there's demand to to use all of it but again worth noting that like many things with this big surplus it's temporary um it was one-time money and so the budget 
you know, without new action by the legislature, would essentially revert to its smaller form later on. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how much gets built and, and what they can do with this bigger pot of money. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go in terms of, well, what happens when it goes back to that $2 million? Because that's significant where all of a sudden we have at least a year of uh, having $40 million of grants and then it potentially goes back down to $2 million. So what exactly does happen then? Are we, As you kind of mentioned, we could have a, maybe a, a big influx of demand or is there any thoughts of the legislature of permanently expanding this plan? Because uh, that, that could be significant coming up in 26 when that $40 million goes back down to two. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's been a debate over, you know, permanent expansion of this. I know that it's a program that Democrats like, and frankly, Republicans in the housing sphere don't have an issue with or tend to like, um, sort of on a surface level. Um, I will say, you know, it's, it's, uh, since it is money for sort of like one-time construction projects, it, it's not like it leaves anybody, you know, hanging as it were. It's not a cliff in which you know, somebody will be sort of left, you know, expecting money that won't get money, but there just is a limited amount. So, you know, they'll, they'll use what they can, they'll build money or they'll build projects with this money and then they'll just be less available. So as there continues to be demand, if there continues to be demand, which I assume there would be, there's just kind of less to go around. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I know it'll depend on lawmakers' interests and, you know, the state's finances and, and how how probably this goes to see if they want to kind of continue to put money in uh, a larger amount of money into the program. Um, but for now, yeah, it is just kind of a one-time, one-time shot. And of course this program was expanded by the DFL controlled Minnesota state legislature and signed by DFL governor Tim Walls. But I am curious what the Republicans approach is in terms of uh, trying to find uh, housing that can be affordable for some of these new workers in rural Minnesota, since obviously Republicans do predominantly uh, represent rural areas in Minnesota right now. What are they saying needs to be done with this program? What kind of solutions are they proposing? Yeah. So like I said, generally speaking, Republicans, don't oppose this program, like Senator Rich Dreheim, he's a Republican from Madison Lake, um, who's been a big uh, housing, um, you know, interested in housing lawmaker for Republicans. You know, he said it's a good program at a hearing in February. Um, Senator Eric Lucero, who's the top Republican on the Senate's housing committee, um, he's also a real estate agent, said grants like this are absolutely important when housing is an issue across the state. Um, but his view on it is this is kind of a temporary shot in the arm rather than a long-term solution to kind of a complicated problem. So he's like, yeah, this is great for now, but, you know, you're not really doing anything to solve the root cause here. Um, and so, you know, he cites data from Housing First Minnesota. It's a trade association for residential builders um, showing that, you know, even though costs of things like building materials and interest rates should be similar across states, the overall price tag for building um, you know, say a starter home or, you know, just residential building is higher in Minnesota due to things like, you know, building codes, fees, other regulations. Um, the legislature approved other, you know, mandates this year that Lucero said would make labor more expensive, like the new paid family leave program. Um, it's worth noting, you know, Republicans, uh, Dreheim in particular, sponsored this bill that's also been proposed in the House by DFLR Steve Elkins of Bloomington very complicated, but it basically alters many aspects of planning and zoning regulations. And it's an effort to make it easier to develop housing that supporters called, you know, compromise and a long running disagreement between cities and home builders. And that sort of this disagreement over, you know, should the state kind of step in 
um, to override some of the local rules and regulations and, you know, mess with fees and things like that. And cities generally want them to, you know, the state government to kind of stay out of that. And so there's been kind of these long-running debates. You know, Lucero had a bill this year would have banned cities from requiring, you know, specific materials or designs that are just sort of aesthetic in nature that aren't required by our state building code. You know, a city couldn't set a minimum square footage requirement. Um, worth noting, neither of those things passed, and Republicans have other, you know, ideas, but those are just a, a couple of things that I saw as I was kind of out reporting this. So, yeah, again, they, they view it as not necessarily a bad thing, the grant program, and in fact a good thing, but that it is not really the solution here, um, that there should be bigger measures taken. Well, we are just about out of time, but you can read more about uh, and more details about uh, what's happening in greater Minnesota with workers that are struggling to find affordable housing. Again, greater Minnesota workers can't find housing. Will an extra $40 million help? Find that over at minpost.com. That's minpost.com. As we have been speaking with the author of that article, Walker Orenstein of MinPost, who's been joining us on the show today. Walker, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. And let's send things back over to Matt McNeil, up next on AM 950.